Today I want to teach you from one of the most fascinating psalms in all of the Bible, Psalm 139. Now if you haven't read Psalm 139 in a while, you really need to get out your Bibles before we get into this and follow along with me because I'm going to dissect it. I'm going to teach all the verses, so we're going to do an expository teaching from Psalm 139. And I want to call this Days Fashioned for Me. Aren't you glad that God has days that have been fashioned just for you? Now, one of the things about life is we're caught between two worlds and there's this tension that exists between God's will for us and our will for ourselves. There's this tension that exists between what's going on in the world, which sometimes we think is reality, and then what is going on in heaven and in the supernatural world, which sometimes is a hard grasp on reality, when that world is more reality than the one we're in, because this world is temporary, and that one is eternal. So there are two worlds that coexist side by side, the natural and the supernatural worlds. And so to understand the will of God many times, we have to see beyond what we can see. We have to see beyond the tangibles of this life and the things that we can hear and see and touch with our senses because there's more to you and there's more going on in the world than just what you can see. And that is why Christians have hope not of this world. That is why we do not mourn the way people in the world mourn. That is the reason that we can have peace that passes understanding and all of these supernatural gifts that have been given to us by the Father. Well, Psalm 139 explains things about your life that you're going to want to hear. So let's get started. So we're going to start with Psalm 139, beginning with the first few verses. I tell you, before I do that, let me go down to the verse that kind of speaks toward the title of this teaching, Days Fashion for Me. So I want you to go down to, um, to verse 15. All right. So let me read verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed. And in your book, I love this, and in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them that existed yet. Look at the next verse. How precious also are your thoughts toward me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, there would be more than the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. Okay, now there's a lot here to unpack, so let's get started because I love this teaching and I think you're going to love it too. So we have to start with verse 1 and understand this. Now this first verse is awesome and scary at the same time. O Lord... You have searched me and known me. Now, how many of you are happy and a little frightened by that thought? God, you searched me and you know me. And then he goes on to describe how God knows you and how much God knows about you. Look at verse two. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Wow. Have you ever stopped to consider that God hears and understands every thought that goes through your mind. He knows every time you sit down, every time you rise up. 
Then he says in verse three, you comprehend my path and my lying down. So God knows everywhere I went today and when I laid down to go to sleep and you are acquainted with all of my ways. Okay, let's just stop here and, and think how amazing that is and how frightening that is that God knows me better than I know myself. Things that I have forgotten about myself, God still knows. Things that I haven't thought about in a long time, God still knows. So God knows my thoughts and yet he loves me anyway. I mean, you know, we live in a filtered world where you only get the thoughts I want you to hear. You know, the people around me, they don't know all of my thoughts. They only know the thoughts I want them to hear. So I filter out my private thoughts, my personal thoughts, even some of my personal opinions. And I hate to say we all have a little judgmentalism we don't like to talk about where we just weigh in on something that's really none of our business, but we do it anyway. God knows all those thoughts. And it says he knows me altogether. Listen to verse four. Now, this this will make you stop and think. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Wow. God has heard every word I've ever said. And yet he still loves us. He loves us in his mercy. He loves us in his grace. That is an unfathomable love. Now, the people in your family probably know you better than anyone else knows you. The people in your life, your, your closest friends, they know you better than anybody else knows you, but they don't know your thoughts. They don't know your path. They don't know every time you sit down and get up. They don't know every, every uh, word that you have spoken throughout the day, yet they love you for how they know you. But God knows all of that, and yet he still loves you. Now, because God knows you that way and because God knows you that well, he sets you up for things in life that sometimes in the moment you don't understand what's going on. It's like, how can this be happening if God loves me? So this is where verse five kicks in. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I can't attain it. Now, I love this verse, but when we think about hedging, we automatically go to Job 1 and 10. When we think about the hedge of protection that Job had around his family, when Satan tried to get to him, Satan comes to God in Job 1 and 10 and says, how can I get to him? There's a hedge all around him. So when we think about God hedging me behind and before, our mind automatically goes to that. But see, that's not the only hedge. There is a hedge of protection. But listen to another verse out of Job, Job chapter 19, verse 8. He has fenced up my ways that I cannot pass. And he has set darkness in my path. Wait a minute. Do you mean the hedge can mean more than protection? It means that God is blocking my path and allowing darkness in my path? You mean God allowed Satan to tempt Job and God allows me to be tempted, even though he knows my struggles and my thoughts? God allows me to struggle. God allows me to fail when he could have protected me. And then look at the verse, the verse 8 and eight and 10 in Job 23. 
Look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I should take. All right. And when he's tested me, I will come forth as pure gold. I don't know if you can see what's going on in this story of Job. But Job has a hedge around him, which is one part of God's hedge. But now Job has enemies around him which is God blocking his path. So he says in this way, because God knows my thoughts, because God knows my goings, because God knows every word I've said, God will protect me, but sometimes he allows things to happen to test me and to try me and to teach me. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com, or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you, and may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to hope in the word. So look at verse seven now. So where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Now I love this part. This is so good. If you don't get this, man, you're going to miss it because you've got to grab verse eight. So let me read verse seven and set it up again. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. Now, do you know how to do that? Do you know how to send into heaven? No, but God can take you there. We sit in heavenly places. So God is saying by me ascending into heaven, that's something I can't do for myself. So God is blessing me and God is anointing me and the favor of God. We like that. My time for God's favor. We like to sing about that and talk about that. So I'm seeing God's favor. I'm seeing God's blessing But then that's not the end of the verse. So let me read it again. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. But if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Wow. See, life has got to be lived out in a balance. It can't all be me ascending into heaven all the time and God protecting me all the time because then I would never grow. I would never learn. I would never get strong. I would become so codependent and so spoiled that all Christians would be brats. Let's be honest with you. We'd be entitled brats if all we got was goodness, goodness, love, favor, favor, pats on the back. You're doing good. No harm can come to you. And that's what most Christians are asking God for. So if I sin into heaven, you're there. But how about when I mess up myself? I made my bed. You know, the old folks used to say, you made your bed, now lie in it. These aren't things God's doing to me. These are things I'm doing to me. These are things I shouldn't have said that I said. Places I shouldn't have gone that I gone. You know, people I should never have allowed in my life that I allowed in my life. Mistakes. Things we said out loud. Things things we invested in, things, moments in time that we would love to take back. If I make my bed in hell, guess what? He doesn't leave me there. 
you are there. Verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. So let's see. Let's see. Man, I've messed up. I just want to run away. That's what this is saying. I, I have made my bed in hell. I don't like it. I'm, I'm not going to hang around here. I'm going to move. I'm going to go where nobody knows me. I'm going to take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Let me find myself some other place far, far away where I can start over. God said, verse 10, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand will hold me. Wow. I love this phrase. You will lead me and you will hold me. You know, sometimes we need for God to lead us. And sometimes we just need for God to hold us. How beautiful that verse is. But look at this two words in verse 10 that I just, I, I want to talk about this for a moment. Let, let me, let me set you up again and read in verse eight and nine. And then I want to get to verse 10. If I send into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, this is me running away and dwell in the uttermost parts of the earth. Let's look at the next two words, even there. So I want to encourage somebody today, even there, God is there. Even there, God is helping you. Messed up your life, even there. Did something you shouldn't have done, even there. Have lots of regrets, even there. Got addicted, even there. Living in sin, even there. Fell into temptation, even there. Got fired, even there. Lost your home, even there. Got rejected, even there. Had your heart broken, even there. Been betrayed, even there. And I could go on and on and on. You know, I have a, a mentor who's this, my spiritual father, Lamar Vest, Dr. Lamar Vest. And um, Dr. Vess uh, told me this story about his uncle and his father who actually got saved in a very unusual way. And this particular story is about his uncle. His name is Otis Smith. He had just made some fresh moonshine, and he was a moonshiner. And he took his wife to an old Brush Harbor meeting to hear a woman preacher by the name of Nettie Hanby. Now, he didn't believe in church, and he didn't believe in women preachers. He was a moonshiner in Anderson, South Carolina. But because he dropped his wife off, he had stood outside and everyone was making fun of this woman preacher. And he thought, you know what? I'm drunk anyway. I've never heard a woman preach. I think I'll just listen to this woman preacher. So he stood in the back drinking his moonshine outside the brush harbor. And I don't know if you know what a brush harbor is, but it's, it's like a makeshift tent or tabernacle that's made of sometimes corn stalks and, and you know, old trees. And it's just a, a place where when you don't have any money and you can't afford a tent, you just make this kind of open air brush harbor. So this is where they're at. Not a very big place. So he stood outside drinking his fresh moonshine and listened to this woman preach. And he got under such conviction hearing this woman preach that he went to the altar and he gave his heart to Christ, even there. Now, in this little brush harbor, 
they, he got saved and he was ready to get up and they pushed him down again, he said. They said, no, you can't just get saved. You have to get delivered from this alcoholism and get sanctified. And they pushed him down again and prayed for him some more. And the guy was wore out. And he gets up. He's totally sober now. He gets up. He says, I'm done. They said, no, you're not done. You need to get filled with the Holy Ghost. And they pushed him back down again. This is his story. They pushed him down again and prayed for him. And he got filled with the Holy Spirit, got delivered from alcohol, saved, filled with the Holy Spirit that same night. He went to get up and they pushed him down again. And they said, no, we don't have a preacher in this part of the country. We need to keep you down here till God calls you to preach. Now, this is all in one night at a brush harbor. And those old saints pushed him down again and prayed for him again. And that night he accepted his call to preach. And this moonshiner that was living his life in his own will and doing things that were illegal and things he shouldn't be doing because he went to make fun of a woman evangelist. She left town and he became the preacher at that little brush harbor, which turned into a great church that is still a great church today. Now, another part of his story is he couldn't read. And he went in the woods and prayed for hours that God would just allow him to read the Bible. And he went out there every day, couldn't read the Bible, couldn't read his anything. He couldn't read it at all. He would open the Bible and he came back one day and said the Holy Spirit had supernaturally taught him how to read the Bible. And he couldn't even read his own name, couldn't even read a newspaper, but he could read every word in the Bible until the day he died. Hallelujah. Even there. Bad circumstances, even there. God knows my getting up every thought of my mind, every word that comes off my mouth. And he loves us anyway. Even if I make my bed in hell, he is there. All right, go to verse 11. So if I say, surely the darkness shall follow me. Now the key here is the first three words, if I say it. I never said darkness was going to fall anywhere. But now I'm pronouncing curses over my own life. There are some people that just can't help it. <laughs> it's like they, they're prone to be negative. If I say, surely the darkness shall follow me, even the, night shall be, uh, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide me from you. So even if I start pronouncing woes and dooms on myself with my own mouth, even if I say it, I'm predicting bad things. I'm speaking curses. I'm speaking death, not life. I'm speaking negativity. I'm speaking out of depression. I'm speaking out of bad habits. So even if I say the darkness is going to come all around me, God said, even though I heard you say it, I'm going to protect you anyway. But the night will shine as the day because of God. The, the darkness and the light are both alike to God. And even your words can't stop God from blessing you. Now let's keep going. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. I like that. You formed my inward parts. Now I know that your first inclination is to think about God forming vital organs. The part of me I can't see. I have a heart, lungs, 
liver. I've never seen any of those things. They're inside of me. It says that he covered me in my mother's womb. So he was forming me there. See, there's a lot more to my inward parts than that. Remember, we're talking about a supernatural God here. We're not just talking about, you know, earthly realities. We're talking about eternal realities. So God is not just forming my heart and lungs and vital organs. God is forming my attitudes, my soul, my heart. God is forming my desires. The Bible says he will give you the desires of your heart. And that's not a wish list. That doesn't mean I say, God, I, I want this, 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 and this, and he gives it to you. That's not what he's talking about. He said he will give to you the things that you should be desiring. So he takes desires out and puts desires in. So you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb and I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And my soul knows that very well. Sometimes God breaks hearts to make new hearts. Sometimes God allows you to be rejected in one place because you need to be rejected there. Because you don't need to be in that club. You don't need to be in that group. Sometimes your phone doesn't ring because God doesn't want it to ring because he does not want you to fall under wrong influences. Sometimes God protects you from things that you want yourself. And he, because he's making you differently, he's forming you differently. So he says in verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret. Wow. Think about that. Made in secret. Do you know that God is doing things in your life you don't even know about? God is setting you up for blessings you don't even know about. I love Psalm 31 and 20. And I've preached this text a lot of times because I love it. A sermon that I used to preach and I haven't preached in years now called Made in Secret. I love this passage, Psalm 31 and 20. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence. My goodness, think about that. I mean, what better place to be hidden than in God's presence? Listen, he's not just hiding in his presence. Listen to the rest of the verse. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. You will keep me safe in your secretly in your pavilion from the strife of tongues. See, God doesn't want some people to speak into your life and he'll keep you from them. Even if you try your best to get around them, God will keep them from you to keep their words from influencing you. He is keeping you from the plots of men, keeping you from the strife of tongues. God is doing a work in you that you don't even understand yet. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. God has a secret and it's you. He's doing something in you that hasn't been revealed to you yet, but it is there. Now look at where he's making you. Oh, God, take me to church. Make me from the choir. Make me from the stage. Oh, better yet, give me intimacy with you in the altar. Oh, that's a great place to be made. God, just let me cry my heart out. Let me get close to you. Crawl up in your lap. Make me in the altar. He says, I can do that. But there's things in you that can't be made in the altar. 
There's brokenness in you that can only be made from an enemy. So he doesn't just make us in nice, beautiful places like churches. No, verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Wait a minute, God, you're going to make me in a low place? Wait a minute, I don't want to go to the valley. But the valley of the shadow of death is where my cup runs over. It's where I'm anointed in the presence of an enemy. It's where goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. But I don't want to go to the valley. Yeah, but do you want goodness and mercy? Do you want anointing? Do you, you don't want to go to a Gethsemane, but do you want to be anointed? You don't want to go to a cross, but do you want a resurrection? You, you, you don't want to go under the surgical knife of the master, but do you want to be remade and remolded? You don't want to go to the potter's wheel again, but don't you want to be a vessel fit for the master's use? Sometimes God makes you in low places and unfortunately, with low people. Sometimes God uses the, the people of this earth that, that are enemies to form something in you, to teach you love, to teach you mercy, to teach you grace, to teach you patience. Look at verse 16. Your days saw my substance yet being unformed. Yeah, God, thank you for that patience. Thank you for being patient with me when I wasn't there yet. I'm still not formed I'm working on it, but I'm not formed. And yet you choose mean people to train me sometimes. How else will I learn forgiveness? You choose a betraying friend to show me the path of mercy. How else would I, would I know it? You, you, you choose the lying tongue of a gossip to show me the path of grace. However, how else am I going to get grace? Where am I going to find mercy? How am I going to find kindness and forgiveness? So here is where we get to the part of this verse that I use as the title. And in your book, all of them were written, days fashioned for me. Wow. Has a new meaning now, doesn't it? It's not just, oh, yes, victories fashioned for me. It's not just glories fashioned for me. It's not just good times fashion for me. It's not just shouting in his presence fashion for me. No. Days fashioned to bring me into the righteousness of Christ. Days fashioned for me to teach me to love. Teach me how I can be kind. Teach me how I can reveal his kindness. How I can live in a world of chaos where it looks like everything has fallen apart and there are days fashioned for me. So in darkness, we will shine. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 4, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This starting with verse seven, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard pressed on every side. Yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. 
Wow. Days fashioned for me so I could become more like him. So then he gets into the part where he says, God, I, you, you heard my thoughts and you knew my thoughts. And you saw my path. You, you, you heard every word that came from my tongue and you love me enough to bring me into rooms that I could grow in. So verse 17 says, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I could, should count them, they would be more than the number of the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. Every morning I wake up thinking, yes, another day has been fashioned for me. But then he digresses for just a second and he says, but God, why don't you just slay the enemies? You know, oh, that you would slay the wicked. This is verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, God. Depart from me, therefore you bloodthirsty men. And I, I'm not going to read all these verses, but it goes all the way down to verse 22. So verse, verse 19 to verse 22 is about, God, why don't you just get rid of all my enemies? Then life would be good. Now you're talking about the millennial reign of Christ. That's going to happen, but not yet. God, if you just get rid of my problems then I could be a better person. Get rid of my enemies. I just hate those who hate you. God, by the way, they're not just my enemies. They're your enemies. Just get rid of them. God said, you know, I, I could slay your enemies. But instead, I've chosen to use your enemies to promote you. I'm going to use your enemies to teach you how to pray. I'm going to use your enemies to teach you how to worship in dry places. I'm going to use your battles to teach you how to lay hands on your own head and encourage yourself in the Lord. Yes, I could kill all your enemies, but then you would never grow. I could make it easy, but you would always be a codependent person. I could make it simple, but then you would never gain wisdom. You would never desperately seek me and know me and the power of my resurrection and the fellowship of my suffering. So he ends this with this, with this uh, word in verse 23. Okay, God, I give up. <laughs> You've heard my words. You know me. You know what I say. And yet you love me anyway, and you set me up, fashion days for my growth. So, Lord, I'm just going to end the way I started. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me. There you go. Put me through the trial, because you know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So, in the end of this passage... David just surrenders. You know, the verse one started this way. You have searched me and known me. And now at the very end of this, we see the same line in verse 23. Search me and know me. So I'm going to ask you today, trust the Lord. Trust him, even in these days fashioned for you, where God intends for you to grow in low places. Ultimately, He's bringing you into the kingdom to be more like him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand his kingdom around the world.